For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com. So I'm Dr. Colm O'Mahony. I'm a consultant in sexual health and HIV here at the Countess of Chester Hospital. And I've been relentless in my efforts to get the UK to use Gerdasil. And I'm delighted to have Kit Fairley from Melbourne um, here on the podcast with me because the Melbourne experience has been quite dramatic. Kit, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Kit Fairley is my name. I'm the Professor of Sexual Health at the University of Melbourne, Director of Melbourne Sexual Health Centre. And we had previously published uh, a reduction in the first 12 months of the vaccine becoming available, but this uh, involves a few more years of information since the vaccine was introduced in the middle of 2007 for women at for girls at school or women less than 27 and there's just been an absolutely dramatic decline in the last four years or so so warts in young women under 21 have gone down from about 19 percent to two percent and in young men, heterosexual men have gone down from 23% to 3%. So essentially, uh, warts are disappearing in young heterosexuals in Australia now. Yeah, I mean, I was delighted to see this paper in STI online. And in your key messages, it's pointing out since July 2007, genital warts have declined in arctic by almost 90% in women and heterosexual men under 21 years of age. And obviously these are the groups in which we see most of the genital warts. So this is an absolutely phenomenal reduction in workload and distress and pathology. It's an amazing paper. Well, I think it has two important things. The first and obvious finding is that less young people are getting genital warts, which is great. But I think the other thing is that most sexual health services under tremendous clinical pressure, they've always got more patients than they can see. And essentially, about 20% of the clients we used to see, young people, had warts. And now we don't have to see those people anymore. So we've got more room for other high-risk individuals. So it has a benefit to the people with warts, but also has a benefit to the community as a whole because it means their sexual health services are more accessible than they previously were. Well, and uh, I say we can't wait for the day because most sexual health clinics in the United Kingdom also look after HIV, which is still increasing exponentially. So, you know, I was pointing out to the Minister for Public Health that if if they choose Gardasil in the vaccine program, we would actually have more time to deal with with HIV because warts are a high-intensity workload um, STI. In fact, one of the most workload-intensive STI chlamydia, you know, one gram of zithromycin and you're sorted. Gonorrhea, captraxone, and you're sorted. But genital warts, unfortunately, it's a it's a long-term issue. And and of course there are the 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 findings of this dramatic reduction in a short period of four years bode very well for uh, other abnormalities caused by this virus as well. And Julia Brotherson recently published in the Lancet a similar dramatic decline in women under the age of 18 in high-grade abnormalities on their pap smears. So so this dramatic decline we're seeing in warts is being mirrored by changes in people's, in women's pap smears as well. And of course that that simply reflects also a, a dramatic reduction in future cancers. Of course we're not just talking about cervical cancer, we're talking about 
um, throat cancers, penile cancers, not so much uh, anal cancers in men, of course, because they're mainly in the gay population who are receiving absolutely no benefit whatsoever from this vaccination program because it's in Australia it's only free to women. So gay men who get anal cancer at least as commonly as women get cervical cancer are receiving absolutely no benefit. Well, that that brings me nicely to the recent paper by Palevsky et al. HPV vaccine against anal HPV infection and anal intraepithelial neoplasia in New England Journal of Medicine. And they looked at 600 young men who have sex with men between the ages of 16 and 26 and gave half them Gardasil and half them placebo. And uh, even in people with prior exposure to HPV, they still got a reduction in AIN 2 and 3 and persistent infection. So it looks as if the vaccine would be of great benefit to young gay men. But of course, um, at, when, at what age does a man decide he's gay and uh, how are we going to get the vaccine to these young men? Well, that's a terribly important point because HPV infection, you know, as, as you know, is caught relatively early on in sexual experience. And our, our data suggests that the women who got the vaccine when they were virginal when they were at school, was, the vaccine was much more effective at preventing warts than when they got it after they had become sexually experienced. And that, of course, is likely to be mirrored in the prevention of cancer as well. So it's terribly important, and, and, and I totally agree that you, people can't decide when they're gay and when they're not, and they may indeed experiment for a few years before they decide one way or another. And so it's important that the boys get the vaccine at a young age so they're protected by the time they become sexually active. Now, people don't sometimes understand just how common anal cancer is. So if you look at anal cancer in HIV-positive gay men, it is about as common as any other cancer they will get other than skin cancer. So it's as common as lung cancer and bowel cancer and uh, melanoma as well. So, so it is a very big problem in HIV-positive gay men, but, but also in HIV-negative gay men, making this vaccine available to men, preferably as boys, is a very important public health measure for the prevention of anal cancer as well. could also save a good deal of money because um, people are now looking at anal cancer screening programs where you do anal smears and then anoscopy. And uh, we know this is fraught with difficulty because you get a lot of low-grade positives that you don't know what to do with. So, you know, anal, anal cancer screening could turn out to be as expensive and time-consuming as um, cervical cancer screening. Or indeed, one might argue much more expensive because if you look at the proportion of HIV-positive gay men who have anal abnormalities, even high-grade, it's almost half in some of the studies. And the, not only is it incredibly common, but there's really no very effective treatment. There are people who, who try all sorts of uh, aggressive, ablative treatment where they burn them off or cut the whole area out, but they recur commonly. And no one's really looked at the, the long-term morbidity associated with these treatments. The treatment for cervical abnormalities is relatively, relatively benign, but the treatments for um, some of these anal uh, lesions that we don't even understand very well are, are, can be uh, quite horrific. 
Well, let's just hope that the um, the obvious savings and the reduction in cancers in women will will trigger a look at uh, what we can do for for men. Just to come back to 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 the six and eleven aspect of these vaccines as well. A lot of people forget about um, laryngeal papilloma. And that's a very distressing condition. If a woman is, is pregnant with genital warts, there's a 1 in 400 risk of her baby developing laryngeal papilloma. And these kids require numerous uh, general anesthetics and lasering off of these lesions until they're in their teenagers. There was a letter in the BMJ recently pointing out just how expensive and traumatic and distressful this condition is. Obviously, there's no studies done that yet, but we would expect that Gardasil would eradicate it. I'm absolutely sure that that we're going to see very little of it in the decades to come because of the the very dramatic decline that we've seen in Australia, in young Australians in genital warts really suggests that 2012, 2013, given the rapid fall in the graph, that we won't be seeing virtually any cases of genital warts in our clinics anymore, except, of course, for individuals from the UK or from other countries that don't have access to this particular vaccine. And that will, will also reflect that, that uh, laryngeal papillomatosis that you mentioned before will become a virtually unknown condition for Australians. There you go, taking a swipe at the UK again, kid. <laughs> I, I've seen your poster presented at a meeting where, you know, the biggest risk to general wars in Australia are now British backpackers because we're the only <laughs> developed country in the world practically not using Gerdasil. I'm pleased to say that even my my original country of birth, Ireland, have chosen Gerdasil. They looked at the money and the aspects and they said there's no, this is no contest. So even Ireland, even though they're broken and have a bailout from the European Union, have still bought Gerdasil for their young young women. Well, that'll be good. We won't have any Irish. You'll, yeah, you'll allow Irish backpackers into Australia then. They won't need a Gerdasil. We won't have a screening program at immigration. Which brings me to the topic that's taxing us all in sexual health here in the UK. Why the UK chose Cervrex over Gardasil? Well, there's a lot of issues. Maybe Cervrex is produced by GSK. It's a British company. They say it was all down to the price of the vaccines and the secret tender to which we, none of us have any access. But the evidence we presented to the Department of Health, we thought was overwhelming. And we were shocked when they chose Cervrex um, a couple of years ago. I have to say the decision is now up for review and within the next two or three weeks the Department of Health are going to announce whether they're going to continue with Cervex or switch to Gardasil. Now obviously Bash and myself particularly and our media group with Peter Greenhouse have been relentless uh, in dealing with the DOH saying please look at all the evidence um, and you know make the right decision. Well, I think ultimately uh, it's very clear which is most beneficial to the community. And as you say, it's really down to um, price. And that's sort of in a way out of our control. But we, we, we know from looking at this sort of very impressive data which vaccine will provide the public with the greatest benefit. Well, what, um, what threw us was um, the, the Department of Health said, yes, it is down to price. And they originally cost the genital warts at £134 a case three years ago. And we said, that is ridiculous. That, that's ridiculous. I mean, payment by results in my trust is £144 for the first visit alone. So any common sense person looking at this realizes genital warts cost at least three to £500 a case. 
And so the HPA looked at this again and published another paper a couple of months ago, which stunned us even more, saying actually it only costs £93 a case because we're stripping out the STD screening element of it. And, you know, we're horrified because this, again, is, is information that the DOH will use to allow them to choose Cervex for the next round as well. So we are very um, pessimistic about the outcome. Obviously, we, we have to accept the fact that uh, the, the, the program in the UK using Cervex has had a very dramatic uptake, you know, almost 80%. So the program was run brilliantly. And we will see a reduction in cervical cancer and CIN and probably throat cancers as well as anal cancers in women. But we feel it is just such a missed opportunity to eradicate the commonest sexually transmitted infection we deal with. It's a shame. Yes, yes. Well, well it, is a, it is a great shame and there'll be a lot of people who suffer as a result. So our fingers are crossed here in the UK. Um, in fact, I had another letter just yesterday from Anne Milton, the Minister from Health, getting exasperated with me, finally saying, look, we reiterate, we will look at all the evidence when we make this decision and basically, you know, stop writing to me. You've made your point. <laughs> so I won't be on the honours list at any stage in the near future, Kit. <laughs> Well, good luck. Okay. Well, I think it's been great fun talking to you. And um, as yeah. I love your paper. I would urge everyone who hasn't seen it to go on the STI online. It's um, first published October the 4th, and uh, it's easy to find. Thank well, you. Thank you for being so kind about it. You're listening to a podcast from STI.